20 by 14 Reflections on Studying Architecture Abroad The Podcast KISS It is useless to do with more what can be done with less. As one of the most formative moments of my years at the School of Architecture in Firenze, I vividly remember my studio professor Giancarlo Leoncilli Massi commenting on my drawings during a desk trip. You use a building crane to wear your jeans. Being so peculiar, a semester abroad is an opportunity to relearn the basics of design. This way, you won't make mistakes, such as metaphorically speaking, using a building crane for something that can be done with your hands. And this is true not only for design, but also, and more importantly, for daily life too. Buongiorno, I am uh, incredibly happy to present you the guest that I invited for uh, for today. Because today we have uh, with us Karen Berman that is speaking from uh, Rome. And Karen Berman is uh, again a friend and uh, a, an educator that uh, invested uh, a lot, a, a huge part of her life in uh, education, both in home campuses but also and mainly uh, by showing uh, American students uh, the city, the eternal city of Rome. Karen is uh, a professor uh, emeritus now in, uh, for Iowa State University. And uh, she led the program, the uh, study abroad program of Iowa State University in Rome for, uh, uh, for many years. I don't know if she is more a New Yorker or a, or a Romana uh, as of now. And I'm sure she will argument about, uh, about these in her intervention. So ciao, Karen. Welcome ciao, in this Buongiorno. podcast. Can you please share with us some uh, opinion and talks about what being abroad meant to you as a, as a woman? as an architect, as yeah. an educator, as an inter, and, uh, and especially as a thinking brain. Okay, um, I will start first with something personal that I think many of my, um, many of my opinions and approaches are based in this personal. So it's, it's the place to start. So I, yeah, I grew up in New York. Am I a New Yorker or a, or a Romana? Well, yeah, that's a complicated question. Okay, I'm going to avoid it for now. But I grew up in New York and I come from a family which moved to the US from Europe, Central and Eastern Europe, under, <laughs> under duress. So um, people who left uh, Europe, Austria specifically, um, you know, at the beginning of the, when the, when the Nazis came, and ultimately made their way to, to the United States, to New York. And so uh, I grew up in New York, but I grew up surrounded by people who were foreigners. Of course, New York is a city of foreigners, um, a place where everybody is a kind of a stranger being strangers together, a collection of strangers. But my family, I grew up among foreigners. I grew up among people whose English was imperfect and accented. Um, and so I was always aware of uh, foreigners and 
I find it really interesting that in Italian, the word for foreigner is straniero, um, which in, in English is really strangers. And the, the notion of a foreigner being a stranger has always been uh, important to me, a person who is strange in a strange place. Um, so when I first came to Europe, I, in a certain sense, I recognized my, my situation here felt familiar because I, in a certain sense, have always felt like <laughs> a foreigner and a stranger everywhere. This is, I think, the experience that many, even American-born uh, children of refugees or, or children who are native to whatever country, but come from refugees, inherit this sense of strangeness and therefore have a sensibility and a sensitivity to other strangers, but also an interest in other cultures. So I can say that here in Rome, I feel very at home <laughs> because I'm as I feel very at home because I'm very familiar by now. Okay, so I have language, I have food, I have acquired many things, but also the situation of being a foreigner is very familiar and very comfortable to me. So I'm very comfortable in my discomfort. Okay, that's my personal thing. And discomfort, of course, as we know, is totally fundamental to study abroad. Um, and I think, you know, I believe really strongly that everyone should experience <laughs> discomfort um, in, in a cultural discomfort to know what it is to not be at the center of the universe, to be decentered, and to, um, to have to cope with people who are different, and to have to cope with also being the different one. Right? Americans are used to always being the kind of the norm and everyone else, all other cultures have American culture as a point of reference. But when the students come here, it's not so much like that. And especially for students who come from, uh, you know, who don't come from big cities in the US, it's, um, you know, it's surprising to them to not feel that that their language, for example, is at the center of everything. Many people, many Americans, but also many students are surprised that everyone in Rome does not speak English. And I have to say that when I first started coming here more than 20 years ago, um, most distinctly, everyone did not speak English. And I would have predicted that, you know, 20 plus years later, English would be much, much, much more diffused than it was back then. But the truth is, actually, it isn't. So, you know, students still, you know, don't know how to cope with um, bus drivers and people selling food and stuff like that. And I really love that. Um, and in fact, I think one of the reasons that it could be good to be in, in places that are even, that are, that are less global than Rome is that, you know, the, the more you travel the field, the more you begin to, um, you know, you, you, be, you begin to lose touch with American culture. I think that's fantastic. Okay, where can I go from there? Yeah. Uh, so the, the discomfort of, of not being at home, I think is super important. Um, another thing, another level of discomfort, you know, uh, there used to be an American band called Kings of Convenience. And I thought this was really fantastic because, I really began to think that our 
what we worship in American culture is convenience. This is a thought now that's a little bit outdated. I mean, it was very, very striking in the past. I guess it's still very striking, but you know, we're used to things being easy and you realize how much this is true the minute you put your toe outside of the US. You know, we're used to circling the parking lot, looking for the closest spot to put our car when we go to the supermarket. Um, we're used to the ease of so many things that we're not conscious of. And of course, as soon as you leave, you do become conscious. So your whole American culture experience, you know, wait, you're, you're, you wake up to who you are. So I've learned more about American culture being here than I could ever have learned being there. And I think this is true. I hope this is true for students too. Um, I had this experience also when I moved to Iowa from, you know, after being a city person in New York, and then I also lived in San Francisco, I moved to Iowa and I learned more about American culture. Maybe I had even bigger culture shock there than I ever had here. Um, and one of the things that I saw in Iowa, Franco, tell me if I'm just digressing too much, please. No, you're um, perfectly fine. I love hearing your stories. Because I could go on forever. <laughs> One of the things that happened was I moved to Iowa and I saw, wow, this is America, America. This is America like I saw on television. Although, frankly, my family was so weird and so foreign, we didn't even really have it. We didn't really watch television. <laughs> we had a television, but it was under lock and key. Uh, so we only watched it on very rare occasions. So again, I grew up in a strange, I was a strange American child. But um, in Iowa, I said, wow, this is the real America, you know, the real white Christian America. And, you know, in there were things I strongly disliked, like, um, you know, everywhere I went, people asked me what church I went to. Well, I, I'm a Jew, so actually I, I don't go to any church. Um, and then actually I'm completely non-religious. So that was even, even more incomprehensible than not being Christian was being totally indifferent to religion. <laughs> indifferent to, and actually maybe a little bit hostile to tell the truth, to all religions. Um, so, but then as I began to know Iowa more, I began to see that the culture or the cultures of people and families that I met in Iowa were actually, you know, their descendants from Northern Europe, right? So why was it that I went to, when I went to the house of a farm kid in the middle of Iowa, I thought, oh my God, there's gonna be incredible vegetables, but there wasn't. <laughs> what there was was potatoes and noodles and bread and pie, not homemade, not homemade. Um, why? Because these were like serious carbohydrate eaters and they were fat too, a politically incorrect word. They were all rather, they were all overweight. Um, why? Because they were still doing what their ancestors four generations back had done in Norway, maybe, which is to, um, which is to, what their ancestors did was they got up in a freezing cold place. They went to work at five o'clock in the morning. They were digging all day, digging potatoes all day. They didn't have beautiful greens because they were in, you know, frozen Norway. 
and they burned up all their calories uh, because they were working like that. And what they had to eat was poor people's, poor Northern people food, you know, carbohydrates. And so they, these people were still essentially eating the diet, a sort of Americanized version of the diet of their ancestors. Okay, so that's one example. There are many other examples also having to do with, you know, uh, well, okay, let me just say there are many other examples. So in Iowa, I learned the extent to which all Americans are descendants. In New York, you know this because in New York, really everybody, you know, you could be in a subway car full of people and A, nobody's white, B, you know, only 20% to 10% of the people in the subway car were even born in the US. So you're faced with it constantly, but in Iowa, you're not. And so I began to understand really the extent to which all Americans are descendants from other places and how powerfully that still makes up American culture. Um, Great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> great, great stories. Uh, uh, it's uh, another guest that is telling and sharing with us stories about being abroad, uh, ambiented in, uh, in, in, in the home country. So it's about you can be abroad even, even in your country, which is uh, really the core of the book. And I'm very happy that you spoke of discomfort, uh, uh, since discomfort is... Uh, a, a thread throughout all the chapters of uh, of the book that we are presenting uh, here. Can you uh, can you tell me something about? Uh, is it still actual to for an American student to go to Rome or to Florence for a semester? Is it still actual in what sense? In the sense, it means something uh, to the. Uh, I know it's a it's a provocative uh, question, yeah. but it means something when you can use uh, a facility that has uh, many times the best uh, tools, the best laser cutters, the best three wow. D printer to go abroad for a semester. <laughs> to, to learn uh, how to use pencils and how to sketch and how okay. to use a sketchbook in front of the Pantheon. Well, I am a very, very strong believer in manualita, which is a word we don't really use that much in English, manuality, right? The, the, um, the hand, the eye, and the body. So I take a very strong position about that. I don't want to see us, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see the, the uh, you know, the 5D lasers and all of that coming uh, to study abroad. I would be unhappy about that because that would essentially keep students in the studio uh, where they should be out, you know, experiencing all this, you know, beauty and discomfort. And um, I'm a very strong believer that uh, that that we need the hand and the eye and the body as well as all those other tools. And in fact, one of the things that I've always liked about the study abroad situation is the lack of the lack of infrastructure, the lack of support, the lack of the lack all the lacks that of the things that we have in the U.S. are pluses, right? They turn us in another direction that I think is fundamental. I want to say something else about that, Franco, which is that. Um, Go for it. Okay, which so I think I've answered that question. Absolutely, yes. And it's really important that we do not begin to 
um, to create the same facilities, the same blah, blah, blah that we have in the US here. No, I'm opposed to that. Um, at this, I also am a very firm believer that students coming to Italy or anywhere, okay, they need to be taught by Italians. Or if they go to Haiti, they need to be taught by Haitians. I've had the, I mean, it's funny that I'm saying this because I came from the home school. I was a member of the home school and I was not hired initially as a study abroad teacher. I've been very lucky to have um, the role of a kind of liaison. And in some ways I've also mentored um, Roman architects who, uh, who are taking over the teaching of the program now that I've retired. Uh, I've mentored them, but I've, ment I've mentored them. They've learned from me about how to operate in an American context and how to deal with an American university, but really about you know, some pragmatic things, some questions of attitude and approach. But you know, I haven't taught them to <laughs> I haven't taught them to be like Americans. I can't teach them, it's totally impossible. And you know, their difference is, is the huge virtue and value of the program. So I've also enjoyed very much teaching with them because you know I went to school in the United States, Cooper Union, by the way, which is very, very pro, you know, the sort of manuality par excellence in the United States. But, you know, here I had to teach, I, it, my teaching was, you know, I, I collaborated with people who taught differently than I did. And I think it's so great for the students to come and learn from Italian teachers, which is very often quite shocking and difficult for, for them because things are not as, how can I say, soft <laughs> as they are in the US here on so many levels, also in the attitudes of the uh, teachers towards teaching, towards students, and towards architecture. And um, <laughs> did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, you did, uh, you did for sure. And uh, I'm so happy that you mm. shared with us all these uh, thoughts. Uh, I promise I, I won't cut out any of your uh, silences because they're they're great and uh, as a closing thing since uh, we are commenting here uh, chapter number uh, 15 keep it simple stupid is yeah. an introduction to chapter 16 which is titled how tall is a chair in centimeters so I will ask you this question how tall is a chair in centimeter or when you sketch, are you sketching in feet or in centimeters as of now? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I, have, to, I, I have to say that I am somewhere in between. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm surprised by my own answer. I'm, because I'm realizing that it's kind of like every, I mean, everything I've talked about today is the in-between, right? Is being in-between. I'm in-between. I, I, I think I'm doing both at this point, um, especially in terms of sketching, I, you know, I, I would say I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just leave it there. I'm gonna say I'm, I'm slipping and sliding back and forth. The students are way better than I am at, okay. at, uh, at switching, absolutely. So it doesn't matter how tall is a chair in centimeters or in inches, 
what is what matters is uh, the comfort of the chair yeah, and what matters is it's been a chair and i like to close this episode with this so thank you karen for your contribution i hope to see you in person very soon and uh, and thank you again for your words okay thank you it was really nice to do this Franco. Um.